name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Brother in Christ, love day to Jesus Christus in, in secula. secula. This is Timothy Flanders at the Meaning of Catholic. Jesus is King. And yes, we're going to let that Beethoven just play out because uh, I don't know glorious. about you, but I every, anytime I've got I've got uh, no kids or wife in the home, I turn Beethoven up to full blast. Especially in the car, it's the best in the mm-hmm. car when you have like the Ninth Symphony, full volume. It just makes you want to go on a crusade and take on the Saracens. I don't know about you guys, but uh, how do you feel about Beethoven? Be- uh, your, Beethoven you know, is my Beethoven. Don't tell me you're a Mozart guy. Then I'll. Then I'll no, no. I mean, Cavazos probably is because he he would do that. But Cavazos no, is I'm, a banjo I'm definitely. Guy. Well, that Mo- yeah, see, Mozart. So you could do like Mozart with the banjo on ice. <laughs> if if you could make that into a show, I mean that you'd you'd make your whole career. That that would certainly be an off Broadway production. Uh, but no, I, that, I, but Beethoven no is is amazing. What, what are you saying, Nicholas? I was saying I, I'd work on that, but the problem in Texas is that there is no ice, so I'd have to travel up and visit Tim oh, one winter and be like, "Hey, can you take me to your nearest pond so I can play Mozart on my banjo?" So, Cavazos, have you ever been ice skating in your life? I have never, no. Never never been ice skating. I, I'm sorry wow. you've been so deprived of living. Uh, so, do y'all have uh, ice rinks? Like, do, does somebody play hockey in Texas somewhere? Or no, nobody does that? I'm sure there's people oh, who think probably, I'm sure there's probably people who do play, but they're all going to be indoor places. Nothing that you'd actually the Dallas play. Stars? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you'll, you'll see the Dallas Stars and stuff. Some of my family members are huge fans of them's, but uh, I mean, it's just y'all got an NHL team in Texas. I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, hockey is just Texas is a football state, you know, like the the second religion here. People go insane, you know, and so it's uh, anything ice related. It's just kind of like, um, you know, do you want it in your sweet tea? You know, like that's going to be the extent of our ice. You know, you want it. (laughs) But if you had to ask, sweet tea. Yeah, sweet tea. Uh, if you had to ask me what my favorite composer is, I'm actually a huge George Handel fan. So I like Handel's work a lot. Oh. Uh, George, Han- is that Handel's Messiah? Is that the same Handel? Yeah, Handel's Messiah, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. You know, I just was blessed to go to a performance of all of Handel's Messiah for the first time. I had never experienced the whole thing. I, I had no idea that Handel's Messiah is actually the entire Bible from cover to cover. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just a Christmas. It, it, you know, that's the thing. That's the thing that's always highlighted, obviously. But that's just one section of the entire, mm-hmm. um, the whole piece. And it's so. How long is the the full performance? Um, I think it was like an hour. It was like it's oh, like a normal good. symphony type of length, I guess like an hour, hour and a half, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like if you go to the, go to the ninth symphony or whatever. Okay. Hand, There's something well, about I, classical music. That's it's, it's so you, it's undeniable. It's objectively beautiful mm-hmm. and you, you give it a chance. You start to listen, right? I know it, it turns people off like, Oh, why would I listen to that? 
And then you're like, oh, you hear it. Oh, I can see why. I play it for my students uh, in the mornings, except on Tuesday when we do Rat Pack Tuesdays. Um, So I play swing or jazz or something like that. But Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the morning before class and like before um, in between periods and sometimes while they're having a study hall, I'll play just whatever playlist is kind of on there. Um, Mozart, Schubert, Chopin, you know, anything. And at first, sorry, I'm putting my very loud quartz watch away. Uh, At first they were like, okay, why are we listening to this old man music? It's stuffy. It's boring. This is like eighth graders, right? These are eighth graders. And they're, they're saying things like, why can't we listen to, um, country or rock or even rap. And I, you know, after shooting all those down, this is what we get boys, except on Tuesdays when we play jazz. And then eventually they started to crave it. Can you put on some music? Do you mind? Where's the piano? Cause we, we like that one. We need that one. Okay. All right. They've come around. I've even had students tell me that they started listening to that at home. Like, just for fun. So the point being is that, uh, you know, whether you're cranking up Beethoven to 11 in your car or playing Mozart with the banjo or whatever you've, you know, whatever you fancy, it's going to be good for you because there is some real beauty there, you know, especially during this Lenten season. Yeah. That's the, uh, ex- that was the thing that first, uh, convinced me of the spiritual efficacy of taking away or at least moderating popular music um i don't i don't think it's intrinsically evil but if you moderate it significantly and you stop listening to popular music or take a fast from it like you do in exodus and then you only listen to sacred music or or this classical music there there i mean i certainly What an entrance! I always, always, always want to want to stop my train of thought. That's 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 your goal. Yeah. You were just explaining why all your music is the devil music, Kaiser. So let me just all my music. Why. Yeah, all your music. So I was well, just explaining uh, uh, the uh, <clears throat> so uh, I don't even know. I, I've been totally derailed by your creaky. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted yeah. to know, Cavazos, where should I, uh, if if all I know is Handel's Messiah, what should I listen to of Handel after that? Mm. That's actually a really, really tough question. So, like, Handel, he became famous mainly for his, like, piano concertos, things like that. So I'd look up some of those because the story goes is, how he got famous was when he was learning music as a child, his parents, I think it was his father, absolutely hated him learning music, like classical music. Um, and it wasn't because, you know, like he just didn't like music. It was because he thought there would be no money in it. And in a certain sense, that's understandable, right? That there's not a whole lot of money in music. But what happened is his, I think it was his mother and his aunt actually snuck a massive piano up into their attic. They were royals and so like lived in, you know, uh, a, a pretty, pretty nice place. And so they uh, snuck a piano up there and he would like play and learn. But he ended up getting so good with all of his different, uh, you know, pieces that he would write and uh, just his overall skill that eventually 
he actually got i think it was from a court a lot like the king or, or something like that actually asked him to come and be like the official musician for the court and uh his father looking at the armed guards that accompanied the messenger said okay yeah he can he can learn music now and so yeah his piano pieces are, are phenomenal so i would just even look up something maybe as basic as that is just like look up his piano concertos and things like that and that, that's yeah. interesting because that's that's really early piano, isn't he? Like uh, 1600s or 1700s? Because that's like seventeen. Chopin, I know he's the big dude for piano, but he's I think mm -hmm. he's like 19th century. But that mm -hmm. is, I mean, right? That's like really really early piano, as far as I know. I, I don't know a lot of the history because I basically just got hooked on Beethoven and I just listened to the Ninth Symphony on repeat since my yeah. childhood. I, we, I, uh, I just haven't really branched out. <laughs> so, when I went there, when there? I was like, Wait, he wrote more stuff? He wrote more stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I did get into some of his piano sonatas. And well, what we just heard, if people don't know, that's the Edgemont Overture. That's an awesome piece. If you listen to the whole thing through, that thing's, I mean, I mean it, yeah, it's awesome. Um, but uh, I, I've gotten a, way into Bach. I, I did not like Bach at first, but I started listening to Bach actually when I um, <clears throat> when I was working my office job and I needed to get work done. I had this Bach playlist and it helped me work a lot faster and more efficiently. Um, just uh, cello suite, cello suite number one, air on a G string, uh, Goldberg variations, prelude in C. Uh, and then if you just start, I, I just start, oh yeah, the... Um, the, what are the um overtures i forgot the name of those but um they're like a like a six six piece mm -hmm. band six piece band with the harpsichord and like um those are awesome i really like those uh but i just started a, a pandora box station and then you get all the broke stuff like vivaldi is um vivaldi gets into that you get canon pocketbell pocketbell's canon most classic broke piece ever anyways this is this is everybody's invitation to uh, join in the fun classical music um, stuff. So welcome to the second week of Lent, ladies and gentlemen. We are in the thick of it. If you were destroyed by your Lenten observances last week during the Ember Week, if you got conquered by all of your resolutions, well... Jesus is transfigured to give us hope that we can make it all the way to Pascha, a.k.a. Easter. So, once again, a reminder to join the Fellowship of St. Anthony. That's our spiritual core of this whole apostolate, which we're, where we offer up the uh, a little bit higher than the bare minimum. The, the tier one requirement for this group is pretty minimal. It's not that, e it's not that hard. Vegetarian diet, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then you fast on Wednesday and Friday. It's just a, a few steps above the most basic requirement that is required by canon law of all Catholics of the Roman Rite. Um, and that's the tier one requirement for this. And if you want to go hardcore, though, you can freely go on to tier two. Tier two is vegan diet for the entirety of Lent, including Sundays. That's tough. If you've never done it, challenge yourself the fellowship of saint anthony is our spiritual core of the meaning of catholic and we always ask for uh contributions to join the guild you have to to join the fellowship you have to be a part of the guild be a part of the guild 
you have there's a prayer requirement to invoke our patrons every single day. That's for the intentions of the apostolate and for the the needs of the guild members. And so the idea is that we can expand this apostolate and continue to help each other as a guild should, as the guilds would do in the olden days, which is a, a method of economic cooperation. And I was just listening to uh, shout out to our, our friend over at Vonday Radio. If, if people have not subscribed to Vonday Radio, it's a YouTube channel. It's fantastic. And I was just listening to their treatment of the guilds. And we're talking about how the guilds really grew out of spiritual confraternities. They already had confraternities in existence, and then they realized that they should help each other's members. Like they had a confraternity of people praying on such and such a day and and giving, uh, you know, putting themselves these various spiritual requirements. And then one of them died. So then he had a widow and, and children. OK, so now we have to put on a re further requirement in the confraternity. You have to go to his funeral. You have to take care of his widow and his orphans. And you have to provide for members of the confraternity. And that so it, the, what starts is the, the cultus, which from the cultus, the spiritual things in the guild flows all of the economic benefits. And it comes that way. And so that's what the meaning of Catholic Guild is all about, is bringing us together so that we can offer up prayers according to the intention of this apostolate contribute financially to this apostolate so we can grow and we can expand and expand our reach of uniting Catholics against the enemies of Holy Church. But since it is a guild, you don't have to, if you're poor, you, you can't afford it, you can still join. So just contact us. You, we can give you free membership. So meaningofcatholic.com slash register or donate, or we still have a Patreon, patreon.com slash meaningofcatholic. And I'm working to create a Google's or not a Google's, whatever the thing is called, locals. It is already set up, but I haven't set up all the all the requirements and whatnot. Um, Andrea, so it is or it isn't. Well, it is set up, but I haven't haven't set anything up the, in it. Yeah, so okay. Do it. This, yeah, this is like, starting to sound like the oh, the book's done thing. <laughs> remember that? Do you remember that one? This is similar to that, I think. Yeah. yeah shout like out to Andrea. Know. Andrea is always our uh, Italian. Um, he is uh, our, our our friend in Italy, who's who's uh, a friend of the show. He says uh, it's a beautiful morning here with happy gypsies playing trumpet in the street. Gypsies are great people, and I witnessed a beautiful gypsy marriage in Romania with violins playing their folk songs. Wonderful. And uh, God, something something Anon says, who actually is who actually go, is go dogs, exactly go. awake and up watching this, and why are you gentlemen doing this at this hour? Well, it's, Why aren't we, well, it used to be earlier. Yeah, just yes. throwing that out there. It, it, the, the original time <laughs> for the show is four thirty a.m. Eastern time. <laughs> yeah, this is mercy as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually late in the morning. It's it's yeah, five a.m. Central, six a.m. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Rob. Rob's up. Rob was on the show last week. You oh, can come on the yeah, show, Rob, if you, you want. Yeah, but, you can come on the show, Rob. We'll change your audio avatar too, bro. Oh <laughs> mm. uh, yeah. So, uh, how's everybody's Lent? Have, have you crashed, crashed and burned yet? I definitely crashed and burned on Ash Wednesday because I tried to go hardcore on Ash Wednesday and I, I, I crashed and burned. But right into the deep. Pick yourself up, ladies and gentlemen. Let's continue the the rigor. Mine has been okay because I've learned in my uh, I don't want to say old age because I'm not I'm not that old, but I've learned to not go as much as i think i should 
So I, it, you know, when I, when I lay out like in my mind and, and maybe write down, okay, this is what I think is appropriate. Then I'll take like three things off the list. And then that's, what's actually appropriate. You know, it keeps me from, um, being spiritually prideful thinking, Oh, look at all this stuff that I can accomplish. Cause it, what's wrong with that sentence? Look at all the stuff I can accomplish. Right. So when I tone it down a bit and just kind of remember that I'm not the focus here and my own ascetical practices aren't really the purpose of Lent, but it's rather Christ who's the focus of Lent, then things go better. So this year I did not crash and burn, at least not yet. Um, but yeah, what about, what about you, Nicholas? Yeah, no, I like what you said. Yeah. Um, not crashed and burned. I, it's been, um, something that I always find that I strive to do during Lent, that it is always, I always kind of have mixed results is, um, the ascetical issue, like the practices have never really been a challenge for me, but it's been me trying to get into the mysteries I think of Lent. And so one thing that I've been doing that's been helping this year uh, more than other years where I just, I guess, you know, new to faith, not really thinking about these things, not really having access to these things um, is like going and finding, you know, different meditation books written by the saints for like each of the days of Lent. So I've been um, going through um, St. Alphonsus Liguori's The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ, where he has, you know, St. Alphonsus, he has like a zillion and one meditations in every single one of his books. And so he has all of these ones for Lent. And so going through them and meditating on not just the, the, the sorrows that really stand out, you know, in scripture, you know, things like the, you know, the scourging at the pillar, the crown of thorns, the crucifixion, but also um, deeper things like what, would, what was the interior sorrow of Christ like? But at the same time, what was like the joy of Christ in that moment? Because he was giving divine justice back to the father. <clears throat> These types of things, I think in the past, I've never really thought about really digging down and looking into, but this time around, really diving into that, sacrificing up those with those ascetical practices, it's been, it's been really good. So definitely definitely the first week, I think, is always the, the, the most challenging week. But then, you know, I mean, that's the same thing, you know, with any type of habit that you're building, you know. And so, yeah, it's been great. Fantastic. We also have the uh, spiritual reading challenge that uh, I've been promoting publicly, and this is a means to put into practice our mission of this apostolate, which is uniting Catholics. Um, but this is particularly a challenge to people from the, the trad communio spectrum of whether you're a tr you would identify yourself as a trad and a part of the trad movement, or you might identify yourself, or at least you are influenced more by the communio school of thought, which would be the great people among the, the communio school was, would obviously be Carol Wojtyla and Joseph Ratzinger, as well as Henri de Lubac, or you might be a, an Urs von Balthasar guy, perhaps if you're a communio guy. So uh, the person on the right here, Cardinal Sarah, is definitely a communio guy. And so I'm challenging, as a part of this apostle, I'm challenging all trads to read his book, The Power of Silence. This book is a, a huge spiritual challenge. It's, it's thick as brick. It's so intense. Uh, I have not even finished the book because you can just read a paragraph and meditate for a week on that paragraph. It, it's, it's one of those things where you, when you read it, it's, um, it, it is a, an encounter with a saint. I mean, let's just be honest here. Uh, when you read 
the works of St. Alphonsus, you read the works of St. Thomas Aquinas, and you read this, the works of these saints, you have an encounter with somebody writing, which is at another level. It's in a totally different ballpark than what you would normally read from normal people. But when you read from Cardinal Sarah, you read The Power of Silence, it, that's what really challenges you. And it challenges trads because Cardinal Sarah is a, is a tried and true Vatican II man. So that is the challenge to the trads. And then on the left side is Thomas Kempis. And that's the challenge for Catholics who might not be familiar with traditional Catholicism. They may go to the, the new rite of mass or they just may not have been exposed to traditional Catholicism. And Thomas Kempis's book, Meditations on Death, that is the work that we're promoting, as well as if you want to be a part of the Roman Rite controversies and have a debate and opinion about all sorts of things regarding the Latin Mass and not the Latin Mass and the New Rite and all sorts of things, then I challenge you to read the Latin Mass Missal and see for yourself why are the trads so fussy about the Latin Mass? Why do trads insist that the Latin Mass continue? And I think that when you read the Latin Mass, you will see, especially if you are familiar with the New Rite, you will see and you will experience that just just the collect from last uh, the collect from Ember Saturday last Saturday. Oh God, turn away the scourge of thy wrath. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing is diminished or excluded from the new right, even in the text themselves. And that's one of the things why trads are so insistent on this, so rigid about it. Any comments on those things, uh, gentlemen? Go ahead, Nicholas. I'll be right back. <laughs> I, yeah, no, so <clears throat> challenge-wise, I think it's a great idea. Cardinal Seurat is definitely one of those people who, I, I was exposed to that book really early on in my Catholic life. It was, I think, literally within four or five months after I was confirmed that I had a friend who came up, and he was just kind of like, you want to check out this book? And I was like, sure. And so I remember going through it and being, like, so overwhelmed in a good way. It was just, it just, it, it, it you know, like all good spiritual reading books written by very holy men, it kind of beats you down, but builds you back up again. And so it, it's phenomenal. But uh, yeah, no, I think also on the flip side, I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, traditionalists are rightly upset about the um, confusion in the matters of liturgical um, sphere is that, you know, liturgically speaking, the um, missal and the breviary and the ritualum and all the different um, sacraments are supposed to reflect the theology of the church. And one of the main issues is that when you look at the traditional doctrine of the redemption, you see very much so that the sacrifice of Christ is a sacrifice of propitiation to the Father, and it's a sacrifice that is um, primarily an action of justice <clears throat> give, uh, by Christ, an action of justice from the Son to the Father, to um, redeeming man and um, giving back to God the justice that is owed, but at the same time, it's a it's an action motivated by the virtue of charity. But first and foremost, the charity of Christ is given to the Father. Right, Christ dies in love for the Father. Right, um, out of love for Him, and then secondarily, it is for us. Right, Christ dies for us as an action of love towards us. Um, but the issue is that when you really start to dig down into the controversies liturgically in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, etc., you do see very much so in the writings of those gentlemen an open denial, if you will, of that Tridentine 
um, propitiation aspect, right? That the mask is a sacrifice, but it's just a sacrifice of praise. It's, you know, just a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving instead of a sacrifice of propitiation. And so propitiation, for the views, viewers who don't know, right, it's a, a sacrifice that appeases wrath, right, in a certain sense, right? It, it, it's appeasing, you know. And, you know, you can go too far on that spectrum <clears throat> and end up in some problems, but then you can obviously go off on the other side. And so I think having that balance mm -hmm. where, you know, the faith is, you know, those four ends of mass that you go for, right, that's what's important. And so I think trads are rightly, you know, angst, if you will, about, you know, next to all removal of propitiatory sacrifice or appeasement or, or divine justice or things like that. So, yeah, <clears throat> I, yeah. excuse me. I, I read Ratzinger's hermeneutic of continuity as primarily about the liturgy. That's what seems to me to be the most potent aspect of what he's trying to say there. Uh, because he says uh, it's one thing to introduce a new right and a reform to the liturgy, but it is, he said it's introducing a breach into the history of the liturgy to suppress what was old. And he further says that uh, in one of his discourses after Spirit of the Liturgy was published, he says that there's all these Catholic theologians who actually want to overcome the doctrines of Trent and they want to promote a Lutheran understanding of the mass. And that's the reason actually that they want to suppress the Latin mass. What, that's why they have such a problem with continuing the latin mass even if it's just continued in like one or two parishes per diocese they still mm -hmm. don't like that because they have a they have a lutheran understanding and so they're basically weaponizing the new right with a hermeneutic of rupture to take away what came before both liturgically and doctrinally follow mm -hmm. your comments so uh, generally agree um, my family and I almost exclusively attend a diocesan Latin mass. We, we don't have anything, uh, like intrinsically against, um, the missile of Paul the sixth, but it's just, it, it hasn't been our jam for the last, what, five and a half, almost six years, I guess, since we were first introduced to, um, the older books, the, uh, the liturgical books, um, I would, you know, uh, caution maybe uh, painting with too broad of strokes because it isn't as if everybody in uh, the last 50 or 60 years who isn't a Thomist or something says, you know, that the mass isn't a propitiation or, or wants to Protestantize it in any sort of way. I mean, there are some That's notable voices that do say that, right? And, and those people on those issues should be ignored or, or, or rejected or, or, you know, maybe not rejected, but, uh, engaged with and, and, you know, it, whether they're alive or dead shown to be wrong. And so that we can advance the discussion. Um, but no, I, you know, in general, I, I agree with, with those critiques and I know it's, it's kind of, it's almost trite to say it, but I'm, I guess I'll say it anyways. When people say things like, um, the, the, the novice is, what the council wanted and the reason we have to force it now is to legitimize Vatican II. That's just silly. Uh, the council could have done all the same things the council did minus sacrosanctum concilium. And I don't think anybody would have said a word about it. It would have just been one of those boring old, uh, you know, kind of like ladder in three. Nobody's ever heard of this thing. What, what did it do anyways? Um, 
you know, I mean, look, the reality is most people don't read these church documents in the first place. Um, it wasn't until it became front and center in the lives of everyday Catholics mm-hmm. through the liturgy that yeah, people were like, true. wait, what's, what is this going on? Um, so I think being able to uh, distinguish, I mean, they're related, of course, but to distinguish between the theology, uh, the errant theology and the liturgy and uh, what some of these other schools, if I don't know if you can call them schools, but some of the other schools of thought, what they call for and what they desire to see. Um, but yeah, other than that, I agree with everything Nicholas said. Jeremiah Bannister is in the house. He's back. Is this still is this still all no. fuzzy? It's no. it's perfect. Nope. Is, it's it's good. I think it's good now. If there is if there is any noise, I'm using a road mic. I just I, we've invested in an enormous amount of equipment recently, and road mic was one of them. But I just realized that my uh, my camera and road mic are right over top of the heater, <laughs> and so the, uh, all, it was just a bad a bad place, by the way, for cameras. <laughs> you that know, that was a noob a noob move. Bro. Yeah, it's a very new it's a very noob <laughs> move, and so we're going to be moving that yeah, any moment now. We're going to be moving that. And, oh, uh, I'm so excited for the Paleocrat Diaries uh, Team Tiny Dancers production company to continue with their work. So, oh man, what's yeah. happening next, bro? Wait, wait, wait. Uh, well, first, 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 let's be honest. Where is the book at? Why is it not sitting on my editor's desk? And Angela's finishing it up, and Angela's taking over the editing part while I'm doing the stuff with the kids. Sweet. So, okay. so that way, hmm? yeah, so she's what got it, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Sounds I don't like know. Yeah, of Eden. It's over. It's over. I think two hundred and fifty. She did it, and she's calling my sister to make sure that that it's that she's all complete. We're not doing any big edits that were proposed. Only the basics. So, do you think I was? Think, I wanted to be done. Obviously, a long realistically, time ago. realistically, do you think? Because I mean, ladies and gentlemen, just just so everybody knows, this book is actually almost done. It really is I, actually almost. I mean, can I can you I just tell we, everybody that I'm my part other than <laughs> correcting right. his, is yeah, done. His part is done. Of the bus. Okay, fine. His part done. Done. I get that. <laughs> yes, but, I, um, but you're right. But yeah. I, I think honestly, I think we probably will be able to publish this at least by Paschal Tide, I think. Would you agree, Bannister? Dude, we hey, Angela. <laughs> That's a no. Hey, That's yo, a baby. No. Yo, baby, <laughs> come on in here. Oh boy! <laughs> and while we wait Morning for time, her I, wake up, I wake up to this, man, boys. Hey, you got here. Come here, come here, come here. So you can't, you can't hear this. Here, I'll, I'll let you listen. Tim's gonna ask you a very fantastic question. <laughs> we're oh, working man. together. We're we're working together. So whatever she says is the answer to this, dude, is obligatory upon me. So oh, I'm throwing okay, myself okay. a little uh, under the bus. Horse's mouth. Uh, in terms of where we are at with the publication, no. so Angela, what page? What page are you on with your final edits to the book? Uh, <laughs> you gotta get down here so they can see you. I'm not sure because oh. uh, I haven't opened my computer. Oh, okay. I oh, would just say you're like halfway you're through. Better answer. <laughs> you gotta tell them. You gotta say like uh, uh, two days, <laughs> three, <laughs> three, four. Well, what what just what part are you on? You can remember what part you you just read in the in the story. I don't. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. Well, oh I, I think no problem. I, think not, we'll probably, not, I don't think there's much left left of it. Much left. Did you did you guys go to London yet in the story, or no? You remember? Probably. Probably. Okay. Mm. All right. 
Well, that's good. I have no idea that's what she good. just gave that very tentative answer to, but I see everybody well, laughing. I, I mean, I really, so I, I honestly, like, must think, be good. I, I honestly think that uh, we we should have this out by Pascal Tide. I think so. That that's my thought. Thanks, Angela. You're welcome. Thanks for being roped in, <laughs> being roped in by your husband. Wow. I love you, man. Uh, so. <laughs> Oh, so man. yeah, we're. I, yeah, I did you guys hear that bus coming? She threw him right under the bus. Oh man! Did, did she? No, I'm kidding. It, okay, I'm going back <laughs> and listening, man. As soon as this is over, I'm going uh, back. Anthony I'm has, going back. Anthony has never done that, and that's why he's still living and breathing. He said. Mm-hmm. So. Other than other than that, though, you wanted to know about. Oh yeah. So what what's next with the Paleocrat Diaries yeah. production company? Well, we were we were supposed to record at the Basilica, but we didn't realize that they did uh, Stations of the Cross on at noon. <laughs> so we ended up going to a different Stations of the Cross, um, which ended up working out great. And so we went to St. Stephen's and I talked to Father Scott over there and he's very excited about what I'm doing. And we talked about possibly, you know, any ideas that he has. And things like that, especially because he's one of those priests in town that has taken a stand on really controversial issues. He, yeah. you know, told a, a les a judge in town, very prominent, powerful judge who is a lesbian and got, you know, married to another woman. And the priest said, you can no longer come up for communion. And she was already set up with all the, you know, all the activist groups and stuff it was already on speed dial they were like waiting outside and and, <laughs> so, and to his credit the bishop went to bat for him too yes the yes and so priest under the bus with that so it was a it was a really as a success story for sure mm-hmm. and i was there with steve cox when from life site when they had the event in support yeah, of him it. Right. Right. yeah and so i went we went there and we had soup afterward and he sat with our family the whole time and just talk to us about what we're doing. And um, so I talked to him. I talked to people at the Basilica. Talked to them. Talked to St. Isidore. I got all these churches that I'm talking to to connect. I want I want to connect with all the priests. <laughs> I want them to all know who I am, whether they like me or not. You know. But no matter what, we want to connect with them and do as much good things for these parishes and for the cause of, of Christ as we can. And with, with content creators I've been talking to behind the scenes. And I won't say many names other than traditional Thomas. And I'm going to get uh, Tim and Jake in on the mix uh, where we work with content creators to create something that's either fun or nostalgic that fits what they're doing and that we do it. It's just free. We just we love meaning of Catholic. We love everything this is about. And we're just really blessed and honored to be Catholic that God loved us that much. And we want to show that to the world. Yeah, this right is on. really exciting because this is this is Taylor Craig. What what's the name of the production company? Dream Bigger Thoughts. Dream Bigger. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's Dream Bigger right. Thoughts Incorporated, man. I'm sorry, uh, Sammy. It, it is that apostrophe up. man. Period. So Dream Bigger Thoughts. One of the things that Sammy would say. <laughs> it's part of the if you're a Taylor Craig Diaries fan, you should know that phrase. But um, that's I mean, it's very exciting because it's 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 a totally unique production company. It's a family family owned and operated. And, it's essentially uh, a show. It's yeah. a show with many, many shows inside of it, with many skits and serials that are created connected to it. So it's like, it is the Megazord. I have finally it's like a meta- used that phrase. With our powers combined. It is, it is now am. here. The Megazord is here. Done. Voltron's here. And we're showing up. Oh, yeah. And so Sweet. it's awesome. It's just fun. We're having fun. Sweet. Nice. Well, I, Very I, nice. this is exciting. This is exciting. I, I want to talk. Uh, we've got. 
20 minutes left or so on this, probably five minutes till my kids come in the room. Um, but I want to talk about St. Joseph because I'm really excited about this, this new series with Fowler. And um, I want to go back to our uh, apostolate constitution. And this is a lay apostolate. And as I said, the requirements for joining the guild are to invoke our patrons daily. This, this is who we will invoke at the end of this broadcast. And these are three lay people. Obviously, St. Joseph and Our Lady are lay people. But we also have St. Anthony of Desert, who's a lay person. And these are who give us the examples of how to live in our, our, um, our current crisis. And um, part of this is a, a uh, concept of lay rulership, <clears throat> excuse me, that's in the church, but has very, been very much diminished in our modern day. And nobility is something that wh one of the ways that nobility arose in the history of the church was that literally there was a Catholic village that was invaded by Vikings. And men realized, there were men there who realized that they had a duty to pick up their swords and fight those Vikings because nobody else was. And if they didn't fight the Vikings, their village would be overrun and their wife and children would be killed or sold into slavery. And so nobility, and then that person, then everybody realized, wow, that guy's that guy can fight. So will you, will you take us under your wing in your castle and you can protect us and we'll give you food? And that's how christendom was built in in very many ways and that's how nobility arises and so as as catholic laymen ourselves we have certain gifts duties talents uh knowledge whatever and part of this is that we feel an obligation to stand up and fight the spiritual vikings that are right now bearing it down upon us and uh do what we can in this situation not as theologians, not trying to resolve everything and officially that that's up to the clerics to really uh, uh, resolve everything. But the idea is that we as laymen, as acting in the same tradition of nobility, we do have a duty to do what we can, uh, according to the gifts given us, according to the knowledge that we've received, um, to be a teacher uh, with fear and trembling, as St. James says, because teachers will be judged more harshly, more strictly, because here we are on YouTube saying that we know something um, and we're putting ourselves out there um, in an attempt to just help our brethren, to help the faithful, to help the church. Um, but part of that is this uh, is part, one of our patrons is St. Joseph. St. Joseph is as terror of demons, but in particular, St. Joseph as patron of the universal church. And this is a mystery that um, was, which is discussed by Calloway in his book, um, Consecration of St. Joseph. So Consecration of St. Joseph, if you haven't done it, uh, the leadership in our lay apostolate will be doing this book. Uh, actually, Fowler, you're, Fowler's already doing round two right now. To yeah, I'm in it. Um, I think today is day 20 yeah, for so, me. Father's going to consecrate himself on the main feast day, but the, the main feast day is uh, obviously March 19, which falls on a Sunday this year as it's transferred on, on to Monday. I'm not sure if it's the same with old and new rites there, but um, anyways, it falls on a Sunday this year. And um, 
But what Callaway mentions in his book, which I think is really interesting, is that he he mentions how St. Joseph's devotion is really a modern invention, shall we say. It, it's something that came about in the modern church that was really not that was really not a devotion to St. Joseph, a cultist to St. Joseph before this time. There was always, you know, a, sort of a yes, St. Joseph is is awesome, but there really was not a cultist. And this came about um, there were some saints in in the Reformation period the Protestant revolt, like St. Teresa of Avila, who had a great devotion to St. Joseph. But Callaway really talks about how this is really very, very much a modern thing in terms of the 19th mm -hmm. century, it becomes very prominent. And then especially in the 20th century, St. Joseph is added to the canon of the mass under uh, John, John the 23rd. Um, and the litany of St. Joseph is, a, I think he's a, I think the litany of St. Joseph is a, it was approved by Pius X, if I'm not mistaken, but, um, oh, and here's our guest commentator. Yeah. Henry Augustine. Hey, we're just Look talking that about what this an amazing is, guy this is henry henry augustine yeah henry, we're just talking about saint joseph let's see there's mary where is that image okay so here it is so the idea is the saint joseph dialogos is our effort to uh have a true dialogos a true dialogue uh under the patronage of saint joseph and the, the idea being that St. Joseph, as the patriarch and the patron of the universal church, can help us in a time where there's a, a dearth of spiritual fatherhood, where we are dealing with the wounds of abused children, the, the wounding of corrupt clergy or sex abuse or sorts, all sorts of bad things happening. Um, and we look to St. Joseph, to St. Joseph as this father and patron, patriarch or uh, patriarch of the Holy Church. Uh, so this is the series that we'll be uh, we're announcing now, but we'll be sometime uh, it'll probably it might be St. Patty's Day. That's where it's scheduled right now. But we it's it'll mm -hmm. be before or, or closely after the, the March 19 feast. Um, so this will be me and Fowler and guests um, discussing all the most controversial issues to try to bring people together for these these sort of debates and dialogos uh, under the patron of St. Joseph. So, gentlemen, any comments, thoughts on St. Joseph and modernity? It's a big deal. I think it's, yeah, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. It's, it's one of those things, man, that's missing. You know, that um, in modern society, there's that malaise and all these things that ought to be there that aren't, like fathers, for example. Um, homes that are not broken by divorce, women that are not shattered by contraception and stuff like that. And so to see this, this um, devotion and to see this consecration, the first time I saw somebody do that who was an influencer of any kind, it was Milo. And that was when he was first really getting serious about uh, leaving that disordered lifestyle behind. And it, it was uh, an amazing thing. And everybody mm -hmm. since then that I've seen who's done this has it's been nothing but powerful, transformative in their life. And so it's awesome not only to, to know that uh, to learn this morning that I will, I'll be doing this <laughs> as well, you know, but that uh, is part of the, the leaders of the apostolate, the group here, uh, but also that that dialogue that you and Jake are having, which is extremely important. It's another wing of the, oh, the broad conversation and the way the, mm -hmm. the various tactics of dealing with the question of modernity and stuff, and that that patronage is going to be over top the umbrella over top of what you two are doing. I think that is profound 
and I, I can only hope that uh, the great saint is smiling over the project. Well, I, I hope it so, is, and I think you're just right. You know, it is, a, it is an optional if you want to join that consecration group, but I, there's no, like, it's nothing, no, nothing MOC is optional to me, man. I'm in all okay, the way. Okay, okay, man. I know yeah, you're, you're doing all, it. I'm you're all the it. way. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, um, yeah. the leadership uh, follower is already leading the way because he's one of the leaders and he's already finishing his consecration round two. So we're going to do consecration round two, round two for the rest of everybody else. I think there's like 10 people of the, of the full. The full leadership of the apostle is like 24 people. Uh, all of these present company included in, in that 24 people. Uh, a lot of people do things behind the scenes. And we're also offering this up, too, for Jared Maynard, who is the, yeah. the husband of one of our leaders as well, uh, Mrs. Ashley Maynard. And he's been very, very sick, uh, deathly ill really and uh so we're offering up this consecration as well for him and and as you might imagine saint joseph has been very close to that family right now so uh so we're offering that that god may raise up jared maynard as well so father you had some comments as well well just uh echoing kind of what jeremiah said about this is not like the only way to go about evangelization or or however you want to put it but this is an a, a very important element to it like there are um disagreements and they need to be discussed and we'll we'll do tim and i will do the best we can uh to bring forth the real issues not the talking points not the um not the quick you know, uh, sticky note theology, but yeah, we might have homework. You know, yeah, no, there's homework. There's homework. If you, uh, anyway, don't want to give too much away too soon, but you know, he mentioned guests, like we've already got guests lined up who are scholars in their field. Uh, some of them anyways, um, other prominent people that you will recognize who are going to come and offer a perspective and, you know, we don't know what they're going to say exactly. We may agree. We may disagree. Tim and I may be on different ends of it. But the heart of it is that dialogue it's through the word uh, that we will attempt to understand each other where we do disagree and attempt to advance uh, the cause where we agree. So, you know, we've said a couple of times already this morning, the mission of the apostolate is to unite Catholics against the enemies of, of Holy Church. It's that first word that we're aiming after uh, to unite, you know, because again, there's there's a lot of uh, ruffled feathers and for good reason. But when you kind of dig down, um, some of the issues go away. Some of the issues actually shift from what you thought they were to some under other underlying thing. And, and again, um, without rehashing the whole thing, right here and right now. I think that this is going to be an excellent chance for people who find themselves leaning one way or the other on whatever, you know, brand of theology you most appreciate. This is going to be an opportunity for uh, growth, intellectual challenge, and maybe a little fun. Uh, and I just, I, I want to, one more tongue in cheek comment. Um, Tim, wouldn't you agree that it's so appropriate that um saint joseph's devotion sort of been kind of limping along throughout all of church history and it really took um, theologians in the last century or so to kind of resource that and like bring it back 
into the mainstream of the church. Surely you would agree with that. Oh, I, I love ressourcement. I love it when it's when it's done without modernism, of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but one of the uh, Teodoro, I, I think he's in. Um, well, he he's got the, the Habsburg flag. I think he. I thought he was in uh, Portugal. Are you in Spain, brother? But Bajo is that. That's more like Italian, anyways. But uh, he said he mentions uh, homework. Uh, yeah, and also yeah, we were, were we actually prayed to, we prayed to Saint Joseph Novena uh, for Jared Maynard concurrently with the public novena that I was posting for Mrs. Grant as well. So remember to keep the Grant family in your prayers as well. Oh, he's in he's in Tejas. Okay. He lives in Saint Anthony. Well, here's oh he lives in San Antonio. Perfect. Well, this this is a, this is an example of your homework. If you want to have a big debate about Vatican II and you haven't read this text. If you haven't read all all the sixteen documents of Vatican II, if you if if you want to get online and and shoot from the hip and start saying Vatican II is this, Vatican II is that, and you haven't studied the sixteen documents, then uh, you're just ignorant. <laughs> I mean, right. come on, man! Like, so this is an example of the homework. This, this text that and Word on Fire just put out Volume Two as well. So this this text, Volume One, only has the first four dogmatic constitutions. And it's very, very good because it also includes uh, one, a very, very good theologian was part of the editor editorship, uh, Mr. Matthew Levering. He is uh, one of the editors of Nova Ed Vetera. He's a re, he's a resource among Thomist, if you will. Uh, he was mm-hmm. one of the editors. And, and what it is, it's the four constitutions of Vatican II, plus all of this commentary from all the popes. And that's what's what that's what makes these 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 uh, volumes very special and a very very good reference point for this. So if you haven't read through this do, this volume or at least the sixteen documents, I mean, you should not be talking. Let's just be honest here. And, well, the sword so, cuts both ways, though, yeah, because there's another. There, well, there's another. The other half, if you will, of the homework is going to be uh, uh, the book coming out. Uh, co-authored by John Kerwin and Matthew Minard. Yes. That kind of exposes a little bit behind the scenes in the Neo-Thomist uh, school. Their, their letters to each other and to those in the, the what, what they called Nouvelle Theologie. Um, and it, so it's, it's going to be challenging on both ends. That's why I say this is going to be something that uh, is necessary, but we're not going to box ourselves in to think that, you know, somebody was asking me the other day, Oh, so if we just keep having these same discussions, that it'll just solve itself. Well, no, we need the magisterium to weigh in. But in the meantime, it's fun. It's informative. Um, and Tim and I can rib each other in the presence of, you know, guests and scholars. And it'll be a good time. Yeah, that you mentioned that. I mean, we're, we're, there is new scholarship coming out. I just mentioned this. Obviously, this is new scholarship. But even though it's just putting together old things. But you just mentioned the new scholarship coming out from Kerwin and Minard, which is really groundbreaking scholarship that's been bro- being brought into English for the first time. And that's a very, very important aspect of this debate, which brings out the Neo-Thomas, the, the Gary Lagrange and his concerns with the Nouvelle Teologie or Communio or Ressourcement, whatever you want to call it, what was happening in the 1940s, a, a decade or two before all of this stuff broke out. And so that's a very important aspect to this because, th- so there's new scholarship coming out that we need to address. And so we will have homework for 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 viewers and readers and we will be reading me and jake will be reading texts and we will be commenting on the texts 
And so we will point people to the text to really we, the goal is to try to elevate this discussion, not only just with with true charity. Let's be charitable, but also let's point people to if you really want to enter this debate, you have to study this and this and this text. If you haven't done that, then just stop talking. Go study, go pray and stop blabbing on the Internet. It's just causing problems. Follow uh, Cavazos or uh, Bannister. Y'all have any thoughts? It sounds really elitist to me, and it's all about books. I didn't hear anything about TikTok or YouTube shorts. I'll just end it there. We only do do YouTube. (laughs) That terrible, awkward part. Yeah, we we don't do YouTube shorts. We just do YouTube pants. (laughs) Pants. Yeah. So, no, it sounds awesome. Let, let's uh, awesome. like, well, let's, every, everything let's you guys do. Let's uh, let's let's uh, get some Thomistic distinctions before before we pray our yeah. Ave Maria. Cavazos, what are your Thomistic distinctions? Thomistic distinctions. Um, yeah, idea overall, absolutely love it because it's it's one of those things that you know, theology is a science, and so just like with any you know body of knowledge, it's going to have its experts that really have to you know debate it out and look at the facts and the arguments and see. How do these things hold up in light of logic and, you know, the the sciences of philosophy? And I think that this project will be very good if people, you know, it's going to be one of those things that if you put in the work, you're going to get a lot out of it. And if you don't put in any work, you're still in the same spot, you know. And so I think that that would be great. You know, reading through the 16 documents of Vatican II, I think, is very necessary for traditionalists because, as you said, if you don't, right, you're ignorant. I have a whole series, half of it's filmed, but a whole series uh, coming out on my show eventually called uh, A Trad Reads Vatican II. And it's basically a live version of where I kind of go through the documents with the commentaries and I look at it and I, you know, give my opinion, if you will, and talk about the controversial passages and stuff. So, you know, live, if you will, putting in the work. And so that's something that, you know, maybe we could even include in a certain sense of being like, hey, look. For further information, go check out this. You might get to see a, a live reaction to something. There but then on the but then on the flips, and you know, the thing is, is like so many of the documents, you know, they're not written in scholastic formation, which I think is probably the biggest problem, just because you know you lose that precision, right? You lose that, you know. I mean, and it's not just being precise; it's also you lose the words that you know theology has been done for in just such a you know long time period. But at the same time, you know, it's not just being like, you know, rampant heresy here, there, everywhere. You know, you open the textbook and it says Muhammad is a prophet and all of these and types, you know, insane <laughs> things. Um, but then on the flip side, you know, Gary Goulagrange and the, you know, Neo Thomas, they were not just these, you know, weirdo dudes up in their ivory towers who had never seen a woman and was like, what's sunlight? I don't understand. We only know books and, you know, dust and things like that. You know, a historical neo-Thomism, as I've heard it's called on YouTube sometimes. Like, uh, farthest thing from the truth, these men were um, probably the the closest thing, if you will, to embodiments of St. Thomas in a lot of ways and their just theological depth that they had. And so whenever they say, whoa, red flag, this is leading to some really sketchy territory theologically, it's definitely something to, you know, take an effect, you know. Maybe there's excesses, maybe there's not, but you got to look into it. You know, got to look into it and kind of see what's up. So overall project, I think will be good. If I could add one last thing, just for fun, if you guys want, you guys should do 
some miniature scholastic debates between you two where it's like, is St. Joseph, was St. Joseph young or old? You know, that's a, that's a free opinion. You know, debate yeah. or, questions on St. Joseph. <laughs> yeah. Or here, here's one that I, I, I hear every once in a while, who is the greatest, you know, man, like, you know, in the church, uh, excluding our Lord, who's hundred percent God, hundred percent man. Is it St. John the Baptist right. or is it St. Joseph? Because there is a, you know, big, you know, wait for both. So that, that could be kind of fun. Seeing that right. place. You could do it as like an unsolved mysteries. Unsolved mysteries of St. Joseph. Oh yeah. With all that, as always, let's let's go to the greatest person in the church, which is our lady. Let's pray. Name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. (laughs) Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Victory, pray for us. Mary, Queen of the Home, pray for us. Saint Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. Saint Joseph, Patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. Saint Anthony of the Desert, pray for all clergy and seminarians. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus is King.